Welcome to the Pink Velvet Couch, where we talk about women's lives, women's reproductive health. Today, I have the huge pleasure of speaking with Nadia. We cover so many topics from pregnancy, birth, losing a loved one during a pandemic, but we also talk about postpartum. Really, it's such a rich episode. I'll stop right here so you can listen to all the wisdom that she has to share in terms of how we could connect to our rites of passages in these difficult times. Welcome, Nadia, to the Pink Velvet Couch. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast today. For those Thank of you, you so that much don't... for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. For those of you that don't know, um, I was Nadia's midwife a year ago, so it feels really special to to be here today to talk about giving birth and being pregnant in a pandemic and also experiencing loss in a pandemic and kind of diving into everything that the pandemic has changed in terms of these rites of passage. So thank you, Nadia, for being here. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your experience? Yeah. Of course. Um, so basically, I found out I was pregnant in February of 2020, uh, near the end. So we had about two weeks of normalcy, but at that time, only immediate family knew. So we didn't really get a chance to ever celebrate the pregnancy with family or anything like that in a normal way. Um, I did have my first prenatal appointments in person, but uh, when the world shut down in March of 2020, that all kind of came to a standstill and everything was moved to the phone. Um, I ended up feeling like stuck, but I understood the situation. I hoped it would pass um, sooner rather than later. Uh, so the early ultrasounds alone, they felt very clinical and scary. It made it feel more like a medical event rather than a life event. And I was sad that I couldn't share it with my husband. Um, but at the same time, like I totally understood. So we kind of just took it day by day. Uh, that was until in around April or May, I had my first um, phone appointment with my OB at the time. And the OB, like I hadn't selected myself, I was referred by my doctor. And I thought, like, I was very naive. I thought that, you know, you didn't have a say in who your care provider was. I thought, like with any other medical um, issue, you would just be referred to whoever the doctor sent you to. And that was the end of the story. And like the OB was super nice and, and everything, like not to slag off the OB at all, but I just personally felt it wasn't the right fit. And I felt stuck like, okay, I know this isn't the right person for me, but I felt like I had no choice. So I was given a scary diagnosis over the phone very casually over a two minute phone call that I had a hormone problem with my placenta and that could likely mean that I would have either a late term miscarriage, a low birth weight baby, or unfortunately a stillbirth. And sadly, I left that conversation with more questions than answers, um, being very confused with little explanation to what the diagnosis even was. So it was then around June 2020, I started to connect with other women that I trust who are moms themselves. And I learned that you can choose a care provider and not only what type of care provider, because all of them are amazing, whether it's OB, midwife, it's whatever works best personally for you. But it just opened so many doors knowing that I could now 
not only choose what type of care I wanted, but narrow it down exactly to a person that I felt comfortable with. And for me, I needed someone that was like calm and thorough. And the second I met you, I was like, okay, this is a complete change because now I feel like a person, I feel heard, I feel seen. And I just immediately from that point forward, I felt confident in my pregnancy and the birth and that it felt normal, even though we were in a pandemic because I was able to go through everything, all my fears and be really reassured. So that was amazing. So thank you for that. Oh, it was really my pleasure. I absolutely remember the day, the first time that you walked into my office. Yeah. Yeah, I was so nervous <laughs> that I left and I was so excited after. I was like, wow, you, you do have a choice. So that was amazing. Um, so yeah, then everything went normal from that point on. Um, you know, baby was measuring small, but it wasn't you know, dangerously small. So we went forward through the labor and birth. And I am, um, yeah, as I said, I enjoyed my birthday after that point. And uh, the pandemic, giving birth in the pandemic made me realize that I actually didn't want visitors. At first, I was really upset about that, that I wouldn't be able to have visitors in the hospital, because that's like everything that I've ever known is someone has a baby, you go see them in the hospital or on TV, you go see the baby in the hospital. But as soon as I was actually in that position myself, I knew immediately, like, I am not in the right headspace to have visitors. I'm in a very vulnerable, sacred time right now. And this time with our family of three is the perfect bonding time. And I wouldn't have had that any other way. And I think if we ever have a child again, I would do the same thing. Definitely not in the hospital. And I would just honor that postpartum period more, um, you know, probably for the first month or even two, just really taking that time with my partner and my first child to get to know our baby and to heal and to, you know, just have that calmness instead of, you know, a chaos of people in and out. So, yeah, you actually helped me with that a lot, too, um, in the postpartum period, like to just trust my intuition. You were really helpful about that. Like if something feels right for me, like not to listen to unsolicited advice, like, you know, it's better when I ask for the advice and someone is is willing to help me through. But most of all, just being a, a safe place to talk about my feelings was the most helpful thing. Um and I, of course, they were multiplied by the pandemic. So that was really helpful. And as well as that, just sort of, um, you also told me to set small goals each day, um, like going outside for 15 minutes, trusting my intuition, like I said, and that those small goals were like really what, you know, kept me feeling like myself through those initial hazy baby blue two weeks. So, you know, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, today I'm going to have a shower. And it's yeah. like something so small, but it's in the chaos of a newborn. You're like, okay, I did it. And you feel so accomplished. Like, yes, I set the goal and met the goal. So that was amazing. Oh, that's so um, great. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't realize how, like, you think that you might want a lot of visitors, but it's like a very inward time after you give birth, right? Like all your energy is into like healing, getting to know your baby bonding with your your like intimate family so I, I don't think people realize to what extent it's actually so beneficial to rest that much initially 
Exactly. Like sleep is in short supply to begin with. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, having a support person like my mom coming in was was amazing and that was very helpful. But that's something someone I'm comfortable with, you know, seeing me, Mm -hmm. you know, without a shower, trying to breastfeed, all of that. So that's very different than a social visit. And I think what I appreciated most was those people that had been in my shoes that knew that and they would kind of just leave food on the doorstep and text me later. I didn't even know they had come and they'd be like, we want you to take the time to rest. Just want you to know we're thinking of you and we left you something there. So that was amazing. I think that's the best thing that people can do is ask what the new mom and baby needs before, you know, just showing up unannounced and the pandemic saved us in that way. So that <laughs> yeah. Was good. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so the first six months of the new baby were really great, um, really intimate, but then unfortunately I suffered a profound loss. I lost my nonna, which is grandmother in Italian, very unexpectedly, very suddenly. We did not see this coming at all. Um, and she was my world. Like she was the glue to our family. Like I called her every single day for my whole life. You know, she, um, watched me every day when I was a child. Um, you know, my mom was a single mom, um, until she met my stepdad. So instead of putting me in daycare, I got to spend every day with my grandparents. I got to learn all of those traditions, the rituals, all of the Italian culture. I was completely immersed in it. So we were very close. She was truly a second mom to me. And it was just a huge blessing to have her meet my baby. But of course, there's also the feeling of you know, being robbed of that too. First being robbed of celebrating the pregnancy with her how I normally would have because we wanted to keep her safe. She lived at home her whole life, never was in a nursing home, but we didn't want to take any risks. So we did keep our distance. I mean, we still brought food and and everything and we visited safely when it was allowed, but I still felt robbed. And I felt like this is so unfair. Like this baby is so young and she absolutely loved her so much. So it's been hard to kind of step into that role as a new mom while going through a pandemic and now adding grief to the mix. That has just been sometimes more than I can handle. But my nonna really prepared me. I mean, she didn't fear death. She she thought of it as a very natural life event, the same as birth. Like, so she wasn't afraid and uh it really it really that really helped and in a way like she was very intuitive as well like all the women in my family are very intuitive so looking back i believe that she knew because of some things that she said you know she would say if something happens don't worry we're only here for a short time and then we have to go on or she would say that i've done an amazing job of raising my daughter basically alone in a pandemic so Yeah, she was just an amazing woman. Um, I mean, she was born in Prato la Pelina, Italy, and uh, she had her own daughter. Um, My mom was her first daughter. Um, She had quite a traumatic birth herself. You know, she was a stubborn lady. She thought, you know, women have been giving birth since the beginning of time. I don't need anyone. I can do this totally myself in (laughs) in the house while my husband's at work. Wow. Oh my unfortunately, God. she ended up hemorrhaging quite severely. But thanks to a neighbor deciding to check in, she was saved and my mom was okay. So <laughs> she wow. had been through a lot of hardships in her life, um, growing up in the war, growing up in a small town. And then um, about 55 years ago, 
deciding to sell everything they owned, move to Canada, immigrate. Um, so they came to a new country. They didn't know the language. They didn't know the customs. And uh, they just settled in. They worked around the clock to make ends meet and to provide for their family. My uh, grandma immediately started learning English, and she uh, got a diploma in healthcare aid. At the time, it was called a healthcare aid. I think now you would call it personal support worker. So she was often around seniors and the dying. So I think that uh, is what you know, made her intuitively aware of the signs of her own natural death. So yeah, her life was just helping everyone. She went on to have four kids, many, many grandchildren, and now a great granddaughter. She was just amazing, like the best cook, you know, so strong, so sassy, like there <laughs> are not enough words to describe how amazing and how, you know, I stepped into motherhood so easily because of lessons I've learned from her and also lessons I've learned from her helping me get through the grief. So, I mean, it's not how I imagined raising an infant, but thanks to her strength, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing her story. I didn't know like any of it. And I just from her first birth, like the immense courage that she had wow yeah I'm really blown blown away and I remember she you were talking with her during your labor right I was on the phone she was coaching you <laughs> yeah FaceTime her while I'm in labor yeah that's how close we were <laughs> I remember that yeah and she um do you see some of her in your daughter I do I, I see the intuitiveness in my daughter and I don't know like how deeply to go into this I, I know you believe in this and, and I absolutely do too but I think the most important part is whether people believe in it or not to give a space to talk about those end-of-life experiences those sort of spiritual moments that um, the dying go through um, as they approach death um, you know seeing um, past loved ones and you know making statements about needing to go stuff like that I think there's such a judgment in sharing those experiences but they're so much more common than you would think but if everyone felt free and safe to share those I think there would be a lot of healing through grief because people would realize that this is a universal event that happens and I think when we share things that are vulnerable and scary to us it makes it less so and we feel closer to the universe and to everyone connected in it yeah. Wow, I'm I'm crying. I'm so. Oh. <laughs> I agree 100. Yeah. percent uh, Something that I've never said or shared with anyone is that when my maternal grandmother passed away, and we were we were unfortunately not that close because of I was living far away from her, and she had a very difficult relationship with my mother as well. So, mm-hmm. um, when she passed away, I, I was still a midwifery student I was driving around and I I she was sick but we didn't know she was about to pass away necessarily mm-hmm. I had this moment of clarity where she was telling me like that she was okay and that she was somewhere where wow. she she felt loved and safe and that like all the um, she had a lot of mental health st- struggles so that she all her struggles were were over basically and that wow. was her natural death and it was like a moment of yeah that's amazing. That she was yeah, okay. totally free of all that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a similar moment. Like we we didn't know she was dying when we took her to the hospital. She was uh, in a delirious state, which for her, it was totally unusual because she was the sharpest woman you could ever meet. And, you know, up in, she was 86 and she was still doing all her own um, pills. Like she knew what everything was because of her background. She would take care of my grandfather and all of his medicine and everything like that. So that's sort of why we brought her in. And they said, that they suspected it was just a standard UTI that was causing the delirium and that once that was cleared up, she would be totally back to herself. So we were relieved, but then I called her on the Friday and all she said was, I have to go, they've come to get me, they're waiting. And at that point we had no idea that she was passing, but not four hours later, the doctor called and said, you know, we were wrong. Her organs are shutting down. Like, that's the reason. So you got to come and say goodbye. And by the time we got there, she was in a coma. But having had that experience, it made it, like, of course, not easy, but it made me feel a bit lighter knowing that, you know, she knew ahead of every doctor. So something in that room, even though we couldn't be with her at that point because of COVID uh, rules, that, you know, she felt safe and she felt willing and able to go. And then immediately after her death, I remember the next morning I was lying on the floor crying and saying out loud, like, how am I going to do this? How am I ever going to eat or sleep again? How am I going to raise my daughter? When all of a sudden our chandelier completely illuminated by itself. And, you know, my husband believes, but he's also skeptical because of his scientific background, he's an engineer, <laughs> but he ran as many tests as he could and he could not find any logical reason why that happened. So he believes it too. And it, it helped me get through the funeral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your grandma was probably, your nona was probably laughing. That he was yeah, trying she's to like, I'm good. <laughs> she's like, I did it. Yeah, she loved to mess with Adrian. She absolutely loved him. That's my husband. She, you know, they had, this, they had a similar sense of humor, so they would play pranks on each other all the time. <laughs> uh, were you able, even with COVID, to have some, like, ceremony for her or ritual? Or was that really difficult to navigate as well? I mean, it was absolutely different. I mean, you know, Italians are big on the double kiss, uh, cheek kiss <laughs> on the cheek and, you know, sharing food. That's like what we do. So we couldn't do any of that. But uh, fortunately, we were able to have a relatively normal size uh, ceremony. Um, it was the day before the restrictions went into place in April to only allow 10 people. So we were just so thankful that we were able to get that in time. Otherwise, like barely, barely any of our family would have been able to be there. So I'm happy that she did get what she wanted, even if it was not in the typical fashion. So I'm glad for that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really moved by everything you've shared. I'm, I'm losing my voice over it. Oh, um, thank you so much. I feel like there's so much for everyone that that's, that will be listening or that is listening to learn to this through going through you've you've been through a big year really, like literally really the cycle of birth and death yeah. like it's just wow. all come full circle <laughs> wow yeah Is so now anything? I'm just focusing on you know how do I want to remember her how do I want to keep her alive in our in our traditions and which traditions do I want to bring forward for for Leah's life my daughter so you know stuff like 
for us, uh, Christmas Eve is always much bigger than Christmas Day itself. You know, we all gather and we don't eat meat. Instead, we have a lot of fish. So like a big family feast of fish. And uh, instead of Santa Claus or in addition to Santa Claus, we have something called La Befana, which is like an old woman slash witch who comes on Epiphany Eve. And uh, you usually leave out, um, you know, like regional fruits or um specialty foods from your area and wine <laughs> so it's like similar to santa claus but italian so um i've always loved that la befana cleans your house too according Ooh. to folklore <laughs> she uh manifests to get all the bad luck out from the previous year and uh stuff like that also my my nonna was uh very big on on rituals like uh you know she would to cleanse away negativity and jealousy she would it's called the malocchio she would uh you know fill a bowl with water and drop some olive oil in and then see if it dispersed or not and that would be like the outcome or how to like sort of lift that and bring positivity so just stuff like that also every sSunday she would cook pasta from scratch even up into her 80s and make her own sauce so I'm trying to like take on her hobbies and cooking like that to to you know have that similar cultural element for my daughter and like most of all just being what I admired in her the most like so caring you know so opening and welcome to everyone just just trying to help as many people as I can is what she did so I think she would be proud if I could even be a quarter of what she was mm. and you are you totally are you are a beautiful beautiful person so is Thank your daughter you. so are you I mean you made my pregnancy you feel normal in such a hectic time and every time I talk to you I feel a bit lighter so I really really appreciate it my pleasure and she absolutely lives through you of course, and through yes. Leah. And yes. thank you. Thank you for telling us about her today. Of course. Telling us about your journey. It's been Thank you so much. Huge <laughs> pleasure. <laughs>